I'm Charlie Tan. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I'm Joe to the fifth element while I highlight the fifth element hip hop knowledge. Wake up, wake up, it's time to start a party. Wake up, wake up, it's time to rock the rhythm. Wake up, wake up, it's time to start a party. Wake up, wake up. Time to do some digging. best actually yeah 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 it's the best one re- it's the best recent one it's <laughs> a good one it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely the best recent one I've, I've, I've phoned in a few uh over, over the over the few over the past few months um but yeah i heard that one i was just like oh yeah yeah that's it that's it we got it we got it oh, ladies song. and gentlemen we got it hi bam how's your week bam what this this week this week i got into a lot of albums uh it's gonna be I don't know how many are on here, but I'm going to try and run through them. Um, first one was Fever Ray. Okay, more than last week. There might be more than last week. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I to be fair, I listen to a lot of albums every week nowadays, but I just don't talk about all of them because some of them are just trash and they're not worth talking about. And I don't, you know, the more that I don't spend, more time I don't spend on hip-hop numbers, the more I'm like, you know what? No one needs to hear my opinion on this shit if it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's no value in this. Like, no one cares. But anyway... <laughs> There is one artist on here I did not enjoy, and I'll, I'll talk about it at the end. But uh, okay. firstly, it was Fever Ray, Radical Romantics, one half of the electronic duo The Knife, who have not released since, I think, 2013, Shaking the Habitual. Brilliant album. I bought it on vinyl a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Fever Ray is their solo project, and it's always been freaking amazing. And this is the, the vocal half of The Knife, so we get the vocals um, from Fever Ray. And, yeah, this is just incredible, just ethereal vocals over just incredibly stomping instrumentals and the lyrical content is kind of centered around sensuality and acceptance in modern society but it's very like really out there you know it's just very experimental lyrically um it's quite artistic it's quite all over the place and i I really do think it's quite poetic at times even if it seems a bit random even if it doesn't really make a lot of sense and i think you know i've listened to this album so much over the last couple of days it really progresses through like at the start is kind of almost defiant and aggressive and yeah defiant is a word i would use but like the resilience builds throughout and at the end it's almost like self-accepting and and a much calmer listen and it starts out really aggressive and abrasive and ends you know almost like meditative at the end the final track is just really quite meditative and mindful and it's actually a brilliant project. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure. It's just electronica. It's it's you know dance electronica. So, it's, but it's freaking amazing. It's a stomper. Uh, Puff One Hundred and E Mozzie dropped Clockwork, and it's just full of bangers, man. Just full of bangers. Uh, you can put this one on. You got no issues. I love E Mozzie's hooks. I really do think that E Mozzie is a great hook artist. Great project. Fully recommend. Uh, Bones, The Witch and the Wizard. Solid. I think the instrumentals kind of fade into the background a little bit. I don't know why I was expecting something a little bit more abrasive, but it's just a very chill listen. It's a very calm listen. Um, I enjoyed it. I I don't think it's quite as ambient as the stuff that uh, Blade's doing at the moment. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's really good. Zaytoven Street credentials. 
you know, I, I really like Zaytoven. I think the stuff that he's done with Future is, is legendary. I think this is really okay, but the rappers on top of it are letting it down horribly. Some truly woeful performances on here. I'm going to get the track list up. But the first one that I have to, like, I don't know what the G Herbo song is all about. It's bad, man. Because, you know, I do the playlist every week, and if a new album drops and there's no features whatsoever, it's kind of annoying because then I'm like, oh, shit, I have to go find the best song. But if a new album drops and there's like two big name features, that's piss easy. I'll just put them on the playlist because people are going to want to hear the Zaytoven and G Herbo song. So I put that on the playlist and then I actually listen to it and I'm like, what is this? Like, what's going on? It's, it's terrible. I don't know what G Herbo was on there. And honestly, this shouldn't be that bad, man. It's Shy Glizzy's first track. Not that great, really not that great. And I didn't really enjoy Shy Glizzy's album this year. But what I did enjoy on that album was when Shy Glizzy brought on like Annalie Chopper. When he brought on guests, he knew what the assignment was. If you have a big name guest, make that a brilliant song because those fans are going to come over and they're going to listen to it and they're going to be like, "Ooh, this is a straight up banger." I'm going to listen to the rest of the album. Uh, no, that was a miss. Um, Key Glock was okay. I don't think it was amazing on the the track Dangerous. Uh, OJ the Juice Man was a bit disappointing. Paywall Giovanni was disappointing. I loved his album this year. I don't know what's going on. Young Dro was a bit disappointing. So genuinely, I think the instrumentals are fine, but uh, he did not get he did not get A tier material from his guests, and that's a bit disappointing. And it's floppy, man. It's got like I think the the Doughboy tracks the one with the most plays. It's only got nineteen thousand spins on Spotify. Zaytoven is a big name producer, man. He's got nearly a million monthly listeners and. It was a disappointing album, that one. Uh, Malik Montana dropped an album, and it's, like, ridiculously long, and it's just bangers upon bangers upon bangers upon bangers, but it's it's way too long. You do not need... I don't know how... Let me check how long this album is. You don't need that length of bangers. It, it really is... I don't know what kind of cardio you're doing when you're putting on a 38-song, 96-minute album... But I'm a long-distance runner, and even I would be like, no, this is really stretching it, man. Like, I can't sprint for 96 minutes straight. Yeah, this is... The tracks with uh, Enoli Chopper is a great track. The track with Heady One is a good track. Heady One is great on it. Uh, Five Year Foreign Luciano and Baby Gang on a track as well. That's really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, it's okay. Like, you know, I got to, like, track 20, and I'm like, this is really good. And then I'm like wait, I have 29 tracks still, 19 tracks still to go? Like, holy shit. So it's, it's a touch long for me. But yeah, man, it's worth a, it's worth a check out. Uh, Jace dropped uh, Reverence. Uh, Jace has obviously spent I-A-Z, spelt I-A-Z. I don't know how to pronounce. I, I mean, it's pronounced Jace. That's what, that's what the internet tells me anyway. Too long again, 29 tracks, way more than we need to hear. Uh, it's a bit too robotic and a bit too much staccato auto-tune about women, money, and drugs, but it certainly does kind of slip into the background, and it, it, it's okay. Like, it's a decent listen if, if that's what you're looking for. I don't see any problem with it. There's nothing that's standing out that I'm like, oh, man, this is horrible. So if you're looking for that kind of music, this is this is okay. Uh, EBK, Young Jock, Hot Boys 4, again, full of bangers. I've listened to this through a couple of times, really enjoyed it. I reckon you can just put this on. Uh, in the gym, and it is totally fine. It'll work for you. G Perico dropped a DJ drama, Gangster Grills album entitled Hotshot. Uh, it's solid. It's solid without being outstanding. The beats are a solid selection of G Funk from DJ Drama. I don't think this is his best. I don't. I, I don't think that 
selecting because i assume that's mostly what dj drama does right i mean he yells on tracks and he looks for beats and finds cool beats and kind of curates a project i've never felt like that's his strongest suit is g-funk uh, or west coast beats um i actually think he's probably a little bit better uh atlanta style production um but again there's nothing wrong with it you know it's just not full of bangers but it's it's good uh, and i really like g perico i think this is a decent album it's worth listening to then we get into uh one i didn't expect to like miley cyrus endless summer vacation God. uh you know look i saw it there and i was like okay it's a big name album you know everyone's talking about it what's miley gonna do now is this gonna be a contemporary jazz album is it going to be a country slash hip hop album? Like, who knows? What's she going to pop out with next? She's done everything. Bossa so, Nova. <laughs> it could be anything, man. It could be an ambient yeah, album. It could, it could be, be fucking a, anything. It could be a sleep album. She 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 does what she wants. Uh, I think Flowers is a great track. The first song. Um, I sent it to my friend, and my friend said that they did not like Flowers at all. But I actually quite like it. Um, <clears throat> there's some Eurodance on here. Some lo-fi electronic guys. Some shoegaze. Very odd album sonically, but. I think lyrically she tracks a path you'd expect from a 30-year-old. You know, it's kind of like a journey of self-love and self-discovery. And as the album progresses, it again, similar to the Fever album, it just becomes a little bit more resilient and a little bit more calm and, and centered. And I've enjoyed some of Miley's stuff and a lot of stuff I have not enjoyed at all. But yeah, this is, this is good. Uh, this is a real 30-year-old person album. And that's great. I think that she has something to say. I think listening to this and listening to the understandings that she comes to and the knowledge that she's dropping on here she definitely has something to say and something of value to add lyrically um so it's worth a listen if you're not turned off by pop music which i'm absolutely not love pop music august alcina dropped myself and i didn't even clock this eh? i did not even clock this until i was listening to it for like the third time like oh that's right the chris rock special just dropped like that makes I didn't clog it, bro. I didn't even think about it. And then I was like, oh, wow, August Alcina. That's that's coincidental. I don't think it's coincidental at all. But I don't think August Alcina is ever better than on tracks like The Opener or Friends, for example, where it can't, he breaks down the different ways in which his mind and his emotions are kind of fucking him over. Or, you know, the people around him aren't acting in the way that he feels that they should be acting. Uh, and he gives us a breakdown of his... I'm not going to say psychological state, but the way that his mind works, the emotions that he's going through and the way that he's viewing the world around him. But there's so much boring stuff on here, like Lied to You, Weekdays, Party. The instrumentals are solid and he drops into some interesting interesting flows, but the lyrical content is so throwaway, man. He's like, I don't want to hear him rap about sex and parties. and It's so boring. It's like that his... Look, man, it's well-worn lyrical territory. We don't need more music like that. We all have our favorites in that area. Like, just, you know, stick to what makes you incredibly unique. I think August Alcina is a brilliant artist. I think he's a great singer. I think he has some really inventive flows. I think he's a really solid artist when he sings or raps about things that are a little bit more personal, not just throwaway stuff. But I know that's what everyone wants to listen to, so... But I thought it was good. I think it's a good project. I, I think it's worth people's time. Uh, the final two records, Conway and uh, Jay Skies dropped Pain Provided Profit. I still don't think Conway has an iconic Griselda project like Tanner Talk 3 or Pray for Paris. Um, and I don't think he... I don't know if he wants one. I don't know what... I could be wrong in that. I don't think there is one. I, you know, Maybe Lulu. Maybe people are saying Lulu. I, I don't know. I think um, the window's gone. 
God don't make mistakes. I don't know, but I think I think he's settled nicely into his niche. But it's a little bit too much of the same for me from Conway. Uh, he's my least favorite of the three, um, and that's not to say I dislike him. I don't dislike him at all. I think emotionally, I think the emotion he brings is far superior to anyone else in Griselda. Um, but yeah, it just it's. I think it was a bit of a throwaway. This project, like it's quite short. I think it's like nine tracks or ten tracks or something. Um, but yeah, man, it didn't feel like a big event record. And I do think at this point of Conway's career, he can do a big event, seven songs. So it's an EP. I think he can do an event record. I think the uh, the the contacts he has in the industry, et cetera, et cetera, I think he could, but yeah, he didn't. So that's cool. Uh, it, again, it's not that I disliked it. It just wasn't my favorite album that dropped this week. Jim Jones, back in my prime. No, yeah. no, no, no. See, I, I fucked up. I fucked up. I put. I was so excited for this album because El Capo in tw- 2019 was amazing, amazing. So I put this on and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a slap. He's back with the heat makers. This is going to be crazy. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are these R&B instrumentals? And why is he rapping and sometimes even crooning a little bit about sex and women? This is completely different to what it was before. I fucked up. It's Hitmaker. It's not Hitmakers. It's Hitmaker. It's Youngberg. Like, it's a different, entirely different producer, entirely different vibe. And I said to Charlie in a voice message, I'm like, it's like putting on an album expecting the Neptunes and getting Trackmasters. It's like, holy shit. Like, you just, no, <laughs> no. Oh, the disappointment. I know. So, yeah, man. Look, there's some, some high-profile samples on here. Imaginary player from Jay-Z gets a run out. Super disappointing and genuinely unlistenable for large stretches just because I don't want to hear Jim Jones rap about women and, and sex and relationships. I, I don't. He's not good at it. And that's okay. You don't have to be good at it. Jim Jones is good at a lot of things. And El Capo was an amazing album in 2019. But yeah, man, for me, not it. Not it at all. Anyway, that was myself, Charlie. What about you? Yeah, um... Some pretty solid ones actually this week for me. Um, start off with uh, Nation, Na- Nation, Nathan uh, Kawanishi, uh, Splashes of Ink, brackets, antithesis. Um, so basically, um, I just got, you know, just got the odd recommendation, like the look of it. I was like, go on them. It's about 20 ish minutes. I was like, give it a crack. So I threw it on. Um, basically, just um, some really calm, really smooth, um, low fire. Uh, hip hop beats and um, you know it really f- it flows very nicely as a pole project um, you know no, nothing that you know sticks out so to speak um, be it negatively or positively but um, yeah it's a nice uh, it's just a nice smooth ride um, doesn't uh, you know jump out at you doesn't surprise you with anything um, but yes yeah, really nice to listen to in any particular backgrounds uh whether it is in the background or you're listening on earphones or you're uh going to sleep to it even um i feel like it can fulfill a lot of uh a lot of roads uh for for most people so i uh, shout out to him uh tank of the bangers uh pretty poems little ep uh little ep from the group um i will say uh ants has um as, as um some may know uh featured on their album Green Balloon from a few years ago. But apart from that, um, I, f- I think uh, it's all fresh, all fresh work. Uh, the rest of it is five uh, it's five tracks overall, so it's an EP. But um, 
DM Pretty live offbeat session. Really nice. Really love that. Um, kind of like a, got a spoken word thing going on. Tank does. And um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting. It's a very interesting um, uh, meditation on someone DMing her saying she's pretty. Um, and it just goes on from there. It's very fascinating. Listen, uh, Black Folk with uh, Alex Isley and Masego, banger. Uh, Easy Goes It with Layla Hathaway. Love me some Layla Hathaway as always. So, uh, you know, can't go, you know, ain't gonna have me complaining. Um, and there goes the neighborhood, which is a nice finish as well. So, yeah, really solid EP. Love me some Tank of the Bangers. Um, that was a nice little care package. Uh, what's next? The hoodies, the hoodies. Uh, what pressure makes. So the hoodies, um, I think, was the first. Um, they had an album. Uh, I think it was like 2016, called Blood Thicker, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was just that raw, you know, raw New York shit. I think Fred the Godson featured on it as well, and uh, I think the, the it's a, it's a duo. If for those who don't know, New York upstate New York duo. Um, and the youngest one, I think, is now, I think, about 17 or something like that. Oh, so, so how old were back they in 2016? Yeah. Freaking young. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, just high school friends, right? And um, they just uh, just doing things. And, um, yeah, it was just a really good project. Uh, this this particular project, What Pressure Makes, um, is uh, another EP-ish uh, project, six tracks, uh, Fly High Drew and uh, Drea Thornton on the features, but um, yeah, it's just got some really nice, just just some nice down, not grimy, but like uh, you know, aspirational uh, talk a lot of times, uh, a lot of braggadocio as well. But um, but yeah, it's just really really good uh, New York hip hop, really good uh, neo New York hip hop that isn't basically drill, right? It's got the, but it's not boom bap either. It's kind of just in the middle. Um, it's something different on that front, uh, which I'm always here for. Um, so yeah, shout out to them. I think I I forgot where I found it, uh, but yeah, it was um, he he must have been like 13 at that point, uh, the youngest one. Um, that was if I knew their names, eh? But anyway, um, <laughs> shout out to them regardless. Uh, Nia Archives, uh, Sunrise, Bang Your Head Against the Wall. Uh, interesting name. Um, but yeah, uh, Producer, of course, and uh, singer songwriter, etc., etc., doing all the things. And uh, yeah, if you like some, if you like some nice, uh, smooth jungle neo soul kind of thing going on, really, really eclectic mix she's got going. Um, and I just, I, I love this. I love this. this is a solid, um, solid project. Um, EP, I would say, uh, six tracks again. Um, but yeah, stuff like um, that's the way life goes, conveniency, just these smooth jungle beats. Um, but they got some soul elements going on there. Maverick Sabron, no need to be sorry, call me, is exactly what what the you know doctor ordered when it comes to this project. Um, but past that, just a lot of smooth jungle beats, nice, nicely paced, nice energy to them. But they also have this mellowness to to it as well. Um, I love the juxtaposition there. It shouldn't work, but it does work, and that's why I love it. Shout out to the archives. Uh, Murs speak and spell another EP. A lot of EPs this week, um, and uh, he's basically just—I don't know. This is basically one big, um, uh, one little care package before I drop my quote-unquote retirement album. 
Um, so he basically says at the end on gratitude that he has an album come in and it's going to be his last one. And this was just care package to, you know, keep the fans going. And uh, yeah, I, I was kind of, I uh, didn't know how to feel about it um, after after listening to that. Um, but, you know, past that, some good stuff here. Uh, really, really smooth beats. Really like the beats on here. Uh, real nice beat packages uh, from uh, uh, we, we, we Are Don. We, we I think that's uh, how you say it. Um, Larry June on the first track. I just, I don't know what it is. I just can't, I just can't get into Larry June. I just can't. Like, I don't know. The way he delivers stuff is just, just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. The, the vocal, the vocal tone is just something about it. It's just like, I can't really get, get, uh, get into it. Um, but yeah, past that, um, Spaghetti at the Getty. Funny, funny name. Uh, Kill Switch Cowboy, Baseball Cars and Big Gulps. Um, yeah, it's just some really, really good stuff on here. Um, and apparently, a care package for what is apparently uh, Merz's last album. So um, I guess uh, look forward to that in the near future. Um, and obviously, you know, eyes never retire. No such thing, but each to their own. Uh, Hit Boy and uh, Music Soul Child, uh, Victims and Villains. Very interesting. Very, very interesting album. Um, I would say it's kind of um just a if you if you like music soul child and or and or if you like hit boy I feel like you're just gonna get what you kind of expect it's not really uh I didn't read I expect what I I got what I expected you know what I mean I got some music soul child's crooning you know what I mean talking about certain things um I really like uh. Uh, uh, the title track especially is one of my favourites and uh, White Rice Deja Vu uh, I Remember You My Ex was very fascinating this has got some really good stuff here and um, shout out to Hitboy for just um, some clean R&B beats um, yeah he really uh, pulled out on that one uh, very uh, very different for obviously what he does um, on the day to day but yeah really good stuff and lastly Friend of 5e Nappy High and Memnock uh, with 93 gold. Um, so if you spun, especially if you spun um, recent uh, Nappy High projects, um, you will get exactly a very similar vibe uh, for this one. Um, they basically connect up for, I guess, a production project here. Um, that's what it mainly is. Uh, you do have Brad Bellard, Maggie King, Kay Franklin on a couple of these tracks as well to provide some lyrics, but overall, it is a production project, um, very throwback. Um, it just, just you know, radio vibes. Um, kind of just gives me like, it's like it's like they're auditioning for um, if GTA Six is Vice City, this would be a radio station. <laughs> it's just, just, it's just got the Dapiar does his uh, radio voice and it's super deep and super sexy. And um, yes, it's it's very it's uh, it's really replayable, really really replayable. The tracks are very quick; they come uh, thick and fast. Um, they're only like um, you know one and a half, two minutes long uh, for most of them. It's twelve tracks, uh, twenty four minutes. So do the math there. And um, yeah, it's just uh, if you if you've been into Happy Hire, you're gonna you know exactly what you're gonna get. If you don't know. Um, you're just going to get some really superb samples. It's a really good uh, archival sample of like a Chevy ad at the end of one of them. It just adds to the the way they paint a picture, you know what I mean? Uh, just sonically, not just with beats, but with the samples they use and stuff like that. It really just takes you back and gives you a time machine to a to a time they're trying to uh, they're trying to uh, give you right there. And they they succeed. They succeed in spades. 
Um, so shout to shout to the duo over there. Um, and what I said, <coughs> we shall get into uh, week two of our Women's History Month celebrations, and uh, from one queen of a certain group to a queen of another group. <laughs> in some ways, uh, we are talking about uh, Miss Melody um, of uh, BDP fame, and um, yeah, let's jump right in. Very fascinating uh, storyline, uh, fascinating album to jump into. And uh, yeah, it was a very interesting, uh, I guess, uh, uh, well, uh, albeit a short listening sesh, but a good listening sesh uh, uh, nevertheless. So well, that's it, Ben, what have you got for us? Yeah, I mean, sadly, like Gangsta Boo, just a few months ago, the subject of our podcast this week has passed away very, very young. Miss Melody was only 43 years old when she passed away in 2012 with complications from an illness that was not disclosed. As Charlie said, the First Lady of BDP, one of the most influential groups in hip-hop history, formed, of course, by KRS-One, whom uh, they were married, actually, in 1987, and they divorced in 1992. I did not know that. Uh, There's an interview from 2015 with KRS-One where he speaks on the profound impact she had not only on him, but zooming out the entire landscape of hip-hop. And this is is key, man. This is totally key. I'm going to read the full excerpt Uh, starting with the question from Charlie Ahern. Now, Charlie Ahern says, Rather than going over this well-trodden path, I'd like to talk about your wife, Miss Melody. There was a time when you were untogether, when you were seeking yourself, and I have a hunch that she had something to do with pulling you together. Karis one says, She did, yes, but not in the sense of finding myself. She helped everyone else find her. Now, Ahern then says, You met her after the stage in your life when you were living at the shelter. So Karis one was living in a shelter at the time. Um, Karis says, I was still in the shelter. I was in the shelter, but full-fledged and full gear. The picture was Scott LaRock was a social worker. He had a weekend job as a DJ at Broadway International. He would get me into clubs for free. So I'd go from the shelter to clubs, hang out all night, and come back to the shelter in the morning. That's the picture. And I met Miss Melody at a club. It was just a high and buy thing. Two weeks later, I saw her again at Dance Dance Taria. I guess it's like Cafe to yeah anyway dance three it's a club i assume from in that area queens and then i started calling her i never wanted to get serious because i was in the shelter i kept trying to explain my situation she kept saying well that that still doesn't explain us so just to get and this is still karis one talking just to give you a picture of what that was like she like us was like she her sister pam and her mother lived in a very small apartment so karis one is saying that uh, miss melody and her sister and her mother all lived together Karis One continues, he says, it was all they could afford. After the whole family knew my position in life, they said, why don't you come and stay with us? And the way I was raised, a man in the house with three women, I said, I'll come when I get a job. I'll come when I have something to offer. We had a family meeting one night and they were asking me, what are you going to do? What are you What are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm going to be the number one rap artist out there, period. However I get there is how I'm going to get there, but I will be there eventually. I'm looking to settle down. Then they looked at each other, but there was a belief, there was a faith, I'm in her house. And so Ahern said, that's astounding, isn't it, considering the world? And KRS-One said, it is, considering the world, but it was an emotional deal. That's what it boiled down to in reality. Everyone had to believe for a different reason. So KRS-One just told the interviewer that he would not be KRS-One without the grace and generosity of Miss Melody and her family. And this is genuinely hardly the only the kind of story of this behavior from Miss Melody in an interview with Ed Lover, Big Daddy Kane actually shed some light on why he wasn't involved in the famous bridge wars between BDP and the Juice Crew. 
Part of the reason was Karis One and Miss Melody's generosity to him. He states, at the same time, Karis One and Miss Melody helped me move out of my parents' crib. I remember it like it was yesterday. Karis One carrying a gray velvet couch down the stairs, Miss Melody right behind him with a big ass 25 inch TV under her arm. We went to the basement apartment that I moved into. He hooked everything up, sat there and drank a six pack of Heineken and watched the color purple. KRS, KRS's spouse at the time, Miss Melody, who died in 2012, was a Brooklyn native who was a strong affiliate to Boogie Down Productions and stopped the violence movement. That's how me and KRS was rocking. We were cool and he had respect for me so I wouldn't intervene. Like that's crazy to me. Like that Miss Melody's direct influence on the bridge wars in that sense, you know, and that's not common. Like this kind of kindness and generosity is not common around this time in hip hop. You know, there's a lot of like, especially when business started to get involved, a lot of uh, shady dealings and a lot of people being like sharks and trying to like rip people off. In a TV interview around the time of a debut album, the interviewer struggled to describe Miss Melody's sound and image. He fumbled over the idea of a female MC. He didn't really know what he was talking about. He kept trying to give her a title or give her a thing, an image or a concept. He kept trying to like do a major label thing. Like, what are you? Who are you? Are you a gangster rapper? Are you like, uh, you know, it's just typical, totally typical. And she ended up just taking control entirely. She let him, she let him work for a little bit and she was like, okay, you're fucking up, bro. So she took control. And she said, she's a woman, she can rap hardcore, she can rap street, she can sing, she can rap about romance, about social issues. She said, Miss Melody is whatever she needs to be, whenever she needs to be it. And she actually came about her name as a youth. She began rhyming incredibly young, and she built her talent up to a level that afforded her the opportunity to rock open mics at parties. And Melody comes from the fact that a lot of people assumed she was singing when she was actually rapping, since her vocals were often quite softly spoken and delivered in an almost a sing-songy way, which when you listen to some of her songs, you can feel that energy. You can understand where that came from. And when you see her in interviews or in music videos, her style is impeccable, absolutely impeccable, markedly different to the aesthetic of the other BDP members. And you can actually see a change in outfit yeah, in the outfits that KRS-One wears as their marriage progresses. If you look at early pictures uh, of, of Miss Melody, just dressed immaculately, like fucking straight up class, absolute class. And KRS-One was never poorly dressed, I'm not saying that. But if you Google an image from 1987 and then one from 1992, you will see a clear difference between KRS-One's dressing. And Miss Melody's wardrobe was just stunning. It was mature, it was classic, it was loud enough to set her apart and put her in her own category. I would argue there were very few more effortlessly stylish people in hip-hop history because every photo I've ever seen of her she was and interview, she was just rocking something unique and high class. And, you know, I don't want anyone ever referring to her as the wife of KRS-One first. You know, that's what I've read a few times, like when she passed away, the wife of KRS-One part is just ridiculous. I don't want anyone to say KRS-One gave her her big break either. She took him in when he was at his lowest and helped to build BDP from the ground up, and I don't think a lot of people know that. And when it came time for her to rock the mic, she absolutely did not disappoint. Her mainstream breakthrough was on the 1989 self-destruction piece, uh, which was created by the Stop the Violence movement. So KRS-One formed this movement in 1988 in response to the violence he was seeing in his community. In a TV interview to, pro to promote the, the, the movement, he explained he was regularly seeing riots and fights break out at hip-hop shows, and it prompted him to dig deeper to understand why this was happening and what he could do about it. He linked up with a bunch of East Coast MCs and dropped a single self-destruction. And just listen to this list of artists on this track, 
Boogie Down Productions, Thetsasonic, Cool Modi, MC Light, D Nice, Miss Melody, Dougie Fresh, Just Ice, Heavy D, Public Enemy. Like it's it's crazy. Like it's a crazy track. It's it's a straight up fucking posse cut. One of the greatest posse cuts in history. And the music video was filmed. It even featured Tone Loke, Young MC, and Shock G. So we got some West Coast participation as well, which is crazy. And the single charted worldwide. It actually charted in New Zealand as well as in the UK. It went number one on the Hot Rap Songs chart in the US, and it was certified gold. Now, if you'd spun her debut album, you know this is exactly the type of time Miss Melody was on. You know, it's it's totally not outside her realm to do, drop something incredibly socially conscious. She only gets eight bars on this track, but I think they're some of the best on the track. She raps, if we want to develop and grow to another level, we can't be guinea pigs for the devil. The enemy knows they're no fools because everyone knows the hip-hop rules. So we got to get a grip and grab what's wrong. The opposition is weak and rap is strong. And that was it. She just dipped. And, you know, it was it was one of the standout verses on the track. And it dropped January 15, 1989, and it actually provided the perfect hype canvas for her debut album, Diva, uh, which dropped November 1, 1989. Um and yeah, I mean, there's not a heap to say about how that came to be. I mean, she was around KRS-One. It, it was always going to happen because she could freaking rap, man. She could really rap. So she was always going to get a debut album. Um, if Charlie want to talk about it, debut album is named Diva. Yeah. Um, on top of that, uh, from what, uh, to add on to what you're saying, I feel like the... Uh the stylish nature and uh, going into the album. Uh, the thing that I think came to me very quickly uh, was how she referred to herself as a poetress, uh, which is very interesting to call yourself, um, especially down that time. I don't think I, re- I don't think I know. I can't remember much many people that would refer to themselves as that. Um, I I can't. Uh, feel free, guys, if you know anybody that has referenced to themselves as a poetress, uh, from back in the day. But um, even with that, it's just a uh, it 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 sets a precedent. I feel. Um, especially when you're going through the album, how she's referring to herself. Um, there's a you know a strong self confidence in there, and doesn't sound like someone's debut album so to speak in, in a lot of ways um i will say the album overall gives off a kind of a kind of a compilation feel uh, for me personally um just like a collection of tracks you know what i mean recorded over a period of time uh it kind of gives off that vibe for me personally but um even with that said you know i reference wake up wake up um at the at the beginning and uh, I do genuinely like that track, just how uh, energetic, it, energetic it is. Um, but also, you know, stuff like To Single Night um, is very uh, is one of my favorites. Um, if you if there's some there's some samples that if you use it, I'm just gonna I'm most likely gonna enjoy it. Um, and uh, using Booker T and the MGs Green Onions is one of those uh, samples for me. So if you're going to have that on a track, if you're going to sample that, I might just enjoy it uh, most uh, more, more often than not. But, you know, stuff like um, uh, More as well, which had uh, a sample of um, uh, Rakim's My Melody. I was just waiting for that as well as I was listening. There were just plenty of moments where I was just going to like, okay, how many samples of melody are there? 
I was just trying to think of a few, and I was like, "There's a because there's there's most likely a ton of just people talking about uh, just saying the word melody." Um, and uh, the the notable one for me was uh, just uh, Rakim saying my melody, and uh, it was used finally used uh, near the back end of the album uh, on more. Uh, was it communication? It was one of the two. I forget. <laughs> but anyway, regardless. Um, but yeah, live on stage, you know, big, uh, a very, very careless one kind of track for me personally, just thinking about it, just uh, being live on stage, right? And uh, having that, you know, uh, having that kind of, uh, just that MC mentality, you know what I mean? Just me on the stage, everyone, everyone take a step back. I'm about to burn the shit down kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm here for that for sure. Um, the beats were kind of interesting actually overall. I think the production is very interesting. Um, so I, was, I don't really, I haven't listened to as much BDP as I'd like. Um, I'm sure we'll get a retrospective done someday, um, of them, but, um, I was listening to it and I was trying to imagine, uh, what, if, if any, would there be any difference from like something uh like any bdp track or uh and her and her music um but i think there's just similarities there um i feel you know there, there's uh there's definitely a feeling of <clears throat> it was done uh it, it was done with them in the room so to speak uh, which ain't which ain't a complaint from me by the way it's just um just something i appreciate and i'm here for um to see if it was different but overall, I feel the, I feel like some t- there's 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 parts of Miss Melody I feel like was, um, kind of ahead of her time in that sense. Um, like you mentioned with the style, I mean, look at the album cover, right? You don't, I, I you know, what? Who's wearing that? <laughs> who's who's dressed in that silky looking gold number with the hood? I mean, it looks elegant. Um, I can't really. Ima- she she looks. It looks like an R and B album, like <laughs> on the face. It lo- it looks like an R and B album. But then when you're listening to it, she's barring up. Um, I find that. Uh, I find that very interesting, uh, and I feel like that was kind of a ahead of her time moment. You mentioned, you know, the interviewer not knowing what to how to how to describe her or whatever. Or how to just uh, you know categorize as uh, we, as we love to do as human beings, um, and I feel yeah I get it because she's not kind she's not quite Queen Latifah right where she had Queen Latifah kind of had this you know very obvious uh, nature and it was unmistakable, but in the same in the same in a similar vein. You know, you see Salt and Pepper, and they had that B-girl look sometimes, um, but they were also talking sexy shit as well. I don't think Miss Melody fit in any of those kind of camps. Um, she had just had a little bit something different, and I feel it, it feels much more understandable to me now that she probably didn't fit um you know into the categories that they invented back then um and i mean obviously most likely to a detriment to her um but 
there was still that confidence regardless. And I, <laughs> I mean, imagine being to, married to Karis one. I mean, you're gonna have to be, you're gonna have to be, uh, you know, uh, 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 strong in a lot of ways, right? And uh, yeah, she fits the bill. <laughs> she she fits she fits that bill for 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 sure. Um, but yeah, man, I really I I enjoyed this album. Um, you know, 1989, uh, obviously interesting year. Actually, I was just about to try and uh, try and look up that kind of uh, just albums that dropped at the same time. It's always uh, interesting trying to, yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah, I can I can I can definitely imagine uh, it being an, a very good year. Uh, oh, there you go. Funny enough, De La Soul, right? <laughs> it's since it's, 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 it's very easy to easy to mention. Free Free High and Rising, uh, DAC, Cool G Rap. Um, so yeah, there's uh, EPMD. Uh, well, Boogie Down Productions as well, Blueprint, um, Iceberg, Big Daddy Kane, Ghetto Boys, uh, which I think is his anniversary today, um, uh, uh, up on that level. Um, All Hail the Queen, to... 1989 too. Well, the Queen as well. So, yeah, even comparing um, to, to those particular albums and just that, um, and where hip-hop was, I feel like it's a worthy, a worthy entry. Um, to that particular year of, of high quality hip hop, because um, you know I feel like that era of hip hop, you know, that's why that's why Free Feet High and Rising is so iconic because at that year I don't think anybody was doing that at that year, right? Um, and everyone else was in their own camps, you know, EPMD doing their EPMD shit, Beastie Boys doing their Beastie Boy shit. DOC over in the West doing his West Coast thing with Dre and them. BDP doing BDP. Big Daddy Kane doing this, doing the uh, just you know I'm for, I'm I'm here for the women. I'm I'm but I'm but flame the men as well kind of vibe. And you know Miss Melody has her own brand there. Um, she has her own brand of rapping, as I mentioned before, poetress. I just find that that self that self titling um, of yourself very interesting. Um, I uh, and I and I fuck with it. I fuck with it to reference yourself in terms of poetry and not just like I'm an MC in the place to be kind of thing is um I don't know, I think I feel like that's a unique unique take at least at least a unique take on how to tackle um uh, how to tackle rapping um but yeah man the album's very interesting um definitely worthy of uh, a listen. Um, and uh, easy can be put up, you know, with the uh, with the good works of of that year. Um, it's got some solid production, and uh, you know, some solid bops, um, some throwbacks uh, as well. Um, well, the whole thing's a throwback <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, you you get, you hope you get what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, this is a good album, man. It's good. Some Randy MC shots in there. The place to be. One, two, three. <laughs> that was that was not my intent. That was not my intent. <laughs> no, this is, look, I think it's a great album. The the thing that disappointed me a little bit was the production. I didn't think it was. I thought it was a bit dated. I mean, as Charlie said, D La Soul dropped this year. Um, you know, Premier yeah. was Primo was dropping Gangstar, uh, EPMD, obviously Bismarcky, um, Queen Latifah, All Hail the Queen. These are you know this pretty intense production like around this time like i feel like 1989 was the first year that everything started to level up production wise yeah i yeah. watched um 
I don't know if it was an I think it's an old interview with Jay Z and he was talking about Rakim and saying that no one when Rakim dropped no one was on Rakim's level and everyone just started leveling up lyrically and like flow wise and as an MC when Rakim came out. Um, you know, I think that's a bit harsh on some artists like Slick Rick, for example. I've always felt like Slick Rick doesn't get the credit he deserves. But anyway, yeah, Divas, you know, I think she's a truly captivating MC. She's supremely confident and assertive, very technically gifted. She's unafraid to sing her own praises. She skates across live on stage and she even adds melody, that that melody to her vocals on Wake Up, Wake Up, which uh, is definitely an R&B beat on what you, on what do you do, sorry. Um, there's like, it, it had that energy. And the thing is, is it's like all over the place, this record. It's just, you know, there's so many different sounds and so many different canvases that she's painting on. Um, you know, the, the narrative on sneaking out, for example, is straight up like 80s storytelling, golden age, golden era storytelling, which is amazing. Mm. Um, you know, there's like a lot of socially conscious bars being weaved into everything she raps about. And I think for me, the album becomes exciting kind of for how mundane the beats are because once you realize how adept Miss Melody actually is at creating something engaging, it's actually kind of exciting hearing how she turns those beats into genuine earworms and kind of vital messages. I think, you know, Diva is the manifestation of what she said in that interview that I quoted earlier because Miss Melody is whatever she needs to be whenever she needs to be it. It's the album from someone with genuinely impressive versatility um, you know, she livens up the entirety of To Sing All Night by slipping into a singing cadence in the middle of the track. And she kind of needed to sing to break the delivery up and, you know, to perform it that way. And there were many MCs in the mainstream showcasing this ability in the late 80s. And it kind of, as Charlie said, it set Miss Melody apart. It's actually really hard to find critical review reactions from around that time. Um, it's actually really uncommon to have digitized reviews from pre-1990. So it's kind of difficult to gauge how people reacted to this album. It didn't hit the Billboard 200 when it dropped. And it's hard to find people referring to it in retrospect either. It's not an album that's been written about often. And I think that's quite sad. I feel like there is some BDP DNA through this record. Uh, and it is interesting to hear Miss Melody's perspective on 1989 and the conditions she was experiencing. And these albums, to me, they feel like time capsules and when you listen back to 80s albums especially when they were talking you know very critical of the crack era for example and and people being addicted to crack and people being addicted to to drugs is such a different it's such a different energy to what we're used to now where people are like you know talking about addiction in a completely different way um and it's just so it can be so abrasive to listen to sometimes it's like it's it's very (laughs) fascinating and as it can't stop yeah yeah, it's, it's a time it's a time capsule of this record. Um, and I don't think it's a bad record. I don't think it's a mid-record. I think it's a very good record. And that's why I was very interested to see how people felt about it when it dropped because I was very, you know, just curious as to where it sat in the landscape for people at that time. I think on the hip on the page for albums that dropped in 1989, um, on the Wikipedia page, which, you know, people shit on Wikipedia, but I use it all the time. I think it's actually a really good resource, but... Uh, she's not on here. On high school list. teachers coming at you. Yeah, I know that. I know that feeling, bro. The uh, when we were at university, Wikipedia was the greatest thing because you go to the the page that you were looking for, and you just like not plagiarize it, but you'd use it, and then you'd go to the bottom with all the references, and you just put them in your bibliography, and you'd be sweet. No worries, like it's all good. But yeah, no, Miss Melody is on this list, but it doesn't actually have the the release date. Um, it was November nineteen eighty nine. 
But yeah, man, I think it's a good album. I think it's a really good album. But it's the only album we ever got from her. You know, it's the only thing we ever got from her. And afterwards, she left the music business. She kind of walked away without much fanfare. And she focused on her family until her tragic passing in 2012. And there's really not a lot outside of that to say. I mean, her and Karis one uh, ended their relationship in 1992. And uh, there's, there's not much information about her. And uh, I think that's a bit sad. I really do think that she had something vital to say in the late 80s. And it's cool for her to go away and, and not you know interact with it anymore. But yeah, I just found that really interesting that there's just barely any information whatsoever after 1989. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, uh, I think my uh, sadness about that, I think revolves more around just, uh, she clearly had a... Um, I think a voice that was uh, necessary. Otherwise, you know, she wouldn't have had an appearance on the uh, on the, on the um, Stop Violence movie record, right? So clearly, she had a care for it, um, or just a care for um, people around her, etc. You know, I go back briefly to um, what you're talking about in the beginning, um, and how. And how she helped the likes of um, KRS and also Big Daddy Kane um, move move out of his uh, parents' spot as well. Um, that era is so fascinating to me uh, when it comes to the idea of you know camaraderie and uh, community. Well, yeah, community, right? Uh, I think a lot of the time. When we talk about stuff like, you know, the bridge is over, any form of, uh, you know, rap beefs in the 90s, um, there's just this, um, when it's retold, it's, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's sometimes a lack of humanism in it, and um, you know, I feel like Miss Melody gives off this fruit um, throughout the, uh, uh, the retrospective, I guess, is that she had an idea to stick it community based and you know there's songs like can't stop where you know she's kind of um giving this storytelling but it's uh, from a very finger waggy type of place <laughs> as a uh, to, to, to put it in some ways i struggle with that to be 100 percent honest like i I know that it was a different time and I know that yeah. it was completely different, but it, it's tough to listen because I've listened to a lot of it. Obviously, if you listen yeah. to 80s hip-hop, you're going to hear a shitload of it. And it it's more than finger-waggy. It's, like, genuinely critical. Like, it's really quite... Uh, it's just rough, man. It's rough to listen to. But I do understand it, you know, fully understand it. Yeah, and, you know, to go on that tangent, to ride with that... Um well, like you say, it's understandable, and um, I think it was just, a, I guess, a lack of, um, I don't know, like a lack of, uh, a lack of something, I guess, uh, maybe empathy, um, maybe just a, um, an ideal uh, or a mindset of, uh, you know, kind of a like a, 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 you know, what the fuck you doing? Well, I think you know I, mean? I, I think yeah. the anger, like if you know, I'm watching Godfather of Harlem at the moment, 
and you know they're talking about bumpy johnson moving out of heroin and moving into cocaine and just the frustration at the damage that that drug was doing to communities that frustration was not being like leveled at the right people it wasn't being leveled at the dealers or the importers it was being leveled at the the addicts because people didn't really have an understanding of addiction or mental health um and and how those two things linked up you know people were seeing addicts as just lazy or slackers or you know not having the the wherewithal and not having the strength of will to say no you know the whole just say no thing it was just just say no like you would never tell an addict in 2023 just say no you wouldn't be like yeah don't don't take drugs like you know what i mean like you'd be like well what's why are you taking drugs but they didn't it and and so the the anger and frustration at the damage the drug was doing was being aimed directly at the addicts because no one had any other understanding but as the 90s and 2000s progressed and artists especially started revealing their own drug use and their own reasons for that drug use because you know you got to think about it from the other side as well like look at a, a band like motley Crue, for example like i've read their their book they were just like they did not give a fuck rock music in the, the 60s 70s and 80s it was just hedonism people were taking drugs just to take drugs they were taking drugs to party and to cause mayhem and to like you know and this was what was being shown in the media this was what was being portrayed and so it's a such a different story now but it is very jarring to hear how abrasive people are about addicts back then it's just like super critical super critical it's hard to listen to yeah yeah um there's just uh, i guess um just a lack of uh it was a lack of empathy and a lack of uh, i guess uh knowledge and also just a lack of uh vocabulary right say like you said just say no is just a political slogan it doesn't really do much else uh for anybody and uh comes off especially now thinking about it thinking back to it um it just rings super hollow um it's it's telling it's te- it's telling someone with like a an anxiety or depression just stop thinking about it just just just, 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 just so if you can say it so quickly uh it doesn't it's, it just rings hollow um and you know even with uh coming back to rapping about it um it it goes to it goes to show why uh some why those kind of tracks don't um don't stand the test of time and it takes a it's i mean what's what's the earliest um what's the earliest hip-hop track you can think of that actually broaches these subjects in a very um in a very i guess uh, empathetic way um, you'd have to go somewhere. Probably Scarface, probably. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, you'd have to go some, somewhere, somewhere in the nineties. Don't know if it was early, mid, late, but somewhere in there. Um, but even with that said, that's only just thinking of trying to think of the first example. Um, when does it get to a spot where it's actually um, the overriding message um, instead of just like? Uh, finger wagging <laughs> to put it lightly <laughs> i mean a, like even 
even Melly Melly Mel, like with White Lions, don't do it. Like that was kind of like the thing that you know in '84 that kind of everyone was like, oh yeah. And then you know, Cool Mo D had Crack Monster, and you know, Tone Loc had Chiba Chiba, um, and that was see marijuana was completely different like everyone was like yeah marijuana is cool but crack is is not cool which is understandable but i genuinely don't know you know i genuinely think it was scarface who kind of talked about just mental health in general i think once mental health was being spoken about more and being understood more that's when people were a little bit more understanding towards people self-medicating with drugs you know but like again it's not common until even dmx dmx was indulging in many substances but he never like in my experience i could be completely wrong after listening to him but when i listen to him i i don't hear him being like you know i'm taking all these drugs because i feel like shit it's like i feel like shit and the drugs are kind of secondary and he doesn't really yeah. like overtly talk about them and it's really i don't think even eminem i don't think eminem was i think eminem is a great test case because he was obviously really struggling with addiction in the early 2000s but it wasn't until 2009 that after he like started his recovery that he felt brave enough to be like i'm going to talk about what i'm going through and that's different to what happened in the 2010s because if you look at 2010s rappers are actively talking about being addicted in the moment they're like i'm addicted right now i'm taking drugs right now because my mental health is poor even in 2002 eminem didn't feel comfortable enough in the hip-hop space to say i am addicted right now and i was alive during that whole period and i had literally no idea about eminem's addiction from you know 2001 to 2005 i no one knew we didn't know there were rumors and it was like he talked about using drugs occasionally but it was more like a party thing he was like you know like drug ballad and and there, there were fun tracks and plus it was Eminem it was Slim Shady we didn't know if he was joking like he has songs like Kim like you know we don't know what is real and what is not real at that point so I think that that is really indicative of especially Eminem like it, it wasn't like he was hiding it wasn't like Eminem was you know he might be a bit of a pop rapper now but he was not a pop rapper in the sense he was trying to clean his lyrics up to be mainstream in the early 2000s he's saying whatever the fuck he wanted in the early 2000s so i think he's a great example of just like 1989 diva came out and 2002 was the eminem show that's 13 (laughs) years and still in 2002 in that 13 years where lots of rappers were struggling i mean beanie siegel talks about and obviously lean started to really blow up in the the 90s and beanie siegel talks about the fact that he was addicted to lean from a young age from his you know teenage years that was a mid 90s but he didn't feel comfortable rapping about it a lot on record he rapped about it a little bit but it didn't become such a big thing for him so yeah it's such a massive gap like 1989 to 2009 when relapse dropped um, and Wayne, Lil Wayne was rapping about it a little bit in the late 2000s, but it's just so far removed. And that's why it's so jarring for us to listen to albums like Diva um, and just albums from the 80s. And it's pretty much whenever we do an artist that like ex- was like just the 80s, you know, when, when artists like kept going into the 90s, it doesn't seem like they rapped about it as much. I don't know why that is, but whenever we talk about someone from the 80s, I feel like we, we hit upon a song like this and we have a very similar conversation because it's just so jarring for us today to listen to it, you know? Yeah, indeed. Um, I remember we did an episode um, very early on about drugs and uh, I feel like this is a interesting addendum towards that as well. 
because uh, I don't think we took on this particular angle of just how rappers talked about it and how uh, uncomfortable it can be to listen to it now. And, you know, they, yeah, they had um, they had um, best interests at heart, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not saying like they were just, uh, you know, being, they had a superiority complex or anything. Um, but it was just the just the language, right? It was just uh, it just wasn't just wasn't quite there. Um, and for a majority, uh, it's still maybe not quite there. Um, so oh yeah, something to something to think about for sure. Um, all right, we'll finish there. Under an hour, just about. Um, and hover uh, to a lighter note, which of course we're going to take twenty minutes to do for some for some reason because we can't just. Do a seventy-minute pod anymore? Hey, <laughs> never know, man. I've not got, I've not got heaps, heaps to talk. Oh, about. I, like one thing, one thing I will say because my friend messaged me about this the other day. Because obviously, I'm not using hip hop numbers at the moment at all. And every yeah. time I go on there, it doesn't even feel like something I do. It feels like something I did, and I feel so disconnected from it. Just like the conversations that people are having on there, I'm like, oh man, like I. And I said at the start, like, who the fuck cares if I don't like something or what my opinion is on something? And if I did come back to hip-hop numbers in the foreseeable future, it will have to be some sort of, I don't know, some sort of, like, completely different thing that I've been doing lately. I'm not going to be like, who has the most diamond songs? You know, (laughs) fuck that. It's very boring content anyway. But I was talking to my friend about it because I was doing TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. And I haven't updated the pod listeners on it. Um, it stopped. I ended it like, uh, well, I didn't end it. The psychiatrist ended it after six sessions. I was meant to do 30. And uh, it destroyed me, man. It completely destroyed me. And I'm not going to talk too much about the, the individual players involved in that, just that I had a really bad reaction to it. And really bad reactions are not common. And my friend was talking about the value of people talking about their experience when it's not common, when it's, you know, a little bit unique or a little bit different to what the norm would experience. Because certainly reading like Reddit threads from people who also had bad reactions was very calming to me because, you know, I was being told that this is not a reaction that is common. And and they, you know, some people were saying to me, I've never heard of this reaction before. This has never happened before, which is very scary. You know, if someone's telling you, that you know something that your body is doing can you hear that <laughs> yes <laughs> so the other side of it is my uh, i'll talk about that in a second that's my cat by the way she's she's fine she's not being mistreated she's just a bit lonely at the moment um but yeah my experience was horrible so my friend was talking about this and i'm not going to talk about my experience i'm not going to go in depth about it i'm not going to tell the details but i will say what my friend said she said it's really important for people to even when they feel and again, it links back to what we were just talking about with, with drugs and with mental health. It's really important for people to talk about their experiences, even if they're being told by people around them that this is not common or this is unusual or this shouldn't be happening because it's very, very freaking valuable for just random people on the internet who are struggling with the exact same thing, who don't have a voice, who don't have a platform um, and maybe it's something I'm going to do in the future. Maybe I'm going to sit down and like think about the best way to package that and put that out there. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that because I, I do think if you're sitting at home thinking, maybe I should talk about this. Maybe I should speak up about this thing that's happening to me that I'm experiencing that no one else seems to be experiencing or something that's 
no one around me seems to understand or get their head around, I think it can be really valuable. So I'm just saying that at some point in the future, I'll probably talk about what happened to me. Um, but the other side of it is my cat passed away, my other cat. So we've got two cats. Uh, and obviously, I live with my partner now. I don't I don't live at home anymore with my, my parents. But we've had these cats for 17 years. And there she is. She's just mm. wandering around. She's just wandering around the house, a poor thing, because she's had a she's had a friend for seventeen years, and yep. um, he had to be put down during the week. He's old, man. He was super old, and it's really sad. Um, but yeah, she's a bit she's a bit lonely at the moment, unfortunately. So yeah, that's the other side. Not a very light note, um, but losing a pet is hard, man. This is the first pet I've lost. No, second pet I've lost <laughs> as an adult, and uh, holy shit, bro. You know, in you know, my cat and I weren't the closest of friends. I've saved his life a couple of times, as you always do when you own a pet, when they do something stupid or get run over by a car or, you know, fall over off a roof or something and you, you know, take him to the vet. But yeah, man, it was, it's disappointing. It's it's really sad. But, you know, even when a cat is old, even when a pet is really old and it's time for them to, to pass on, it's it's a difficult process. It's a difficult process. Um, but yeah, man, it's not a lighter note, but that's, that's what's going on in my life <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Um... It was just, uh, I can I can feel that. Um, I recently, just literally today, dropped a article uh, based on, uh, what was it? Based on um, the, well, award season in general. Um, it was something that I wanted to, uh, that I have actually just been thinking about writing for years. I told Ben, I, rec- I, I recently just uh, got into... Uh, for you know, sometimes I like to just get into this uh, USB that I have that I've had for over a decade. Um, has all my old schoolwork on it. Um, it also has my student radio shit on it. And at that point, when I was doing student radio, I was just really into you know the concept of award season. And I kept calling it award season and stuff like that and SZN. And um, after like 2018, I just got so. <sighs> so disillusioned with it um i was just really irritated by it all and it was just really i don't know just it just left me in a place where i was just like oh so this ain't all legit anymore and it just felt different you know felt uh there was some there was a magic a mysticism uh that was ruined for me and uh you know, it took it took me you know a few years, um, but I'm fine. I finally got to the point where I was just like, you know what, fuck it. Um, I've I've stopped I've stopped listening to it. I've stopped enjoying it, and uh, I stopped caring about it after about you know twenty twenty eighteen or whatever. Stopped caring about award season, and now I'm not even stopped caring about award season i'm now at a point where i'm just like been award season entirely <laughs> been it all stick it all in a bin in the words of dig a d put it in a coffin put him in a coffin just <laughs> just put him in the coffin um grammys oscars golden globes brit awards all of that shit if it's on the tv i most likely want to put it in the bin now for smaller things um, I mentioned in the article Mercury Prize. I do still enjoy that for different reasons, um, and this ain't this ain't definitive, right? The why why I wrote it wasn't definitive. I didn't lay out every single reason why. There are plenty more reasons. 
um, but just the ones that have been that have pissed me off the most. Um, one being uh, these annoying fucking ass articles that drop every year now, and they all do it now. Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Vulture, uh, IndieWire—they all do this. They get anonymous voters to just chat shit about all of it, and they just. They go mask off, but they they don't actually go mask off, and it annoys me because it's just like you pussies, <laughs> you actually pussies. Like one one person said, um, I forgot where it was. It was like IndieWire or whatever, but doesn't really matter. But one of them said like, um, a they didn't watch The Woman King. B they were sick of Viola Davis for just being Viola Davis, right? And they didn't even reference the director, Gina Prince-Bythewood, of Woman King. They didn't even reference her name. They said the female director or something like that. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Are you serious, guys? Like, so we're just out. So we're just allowing misogyny to just happen. Uh, We're allowing, like, racism to happen throughout these people. And you're just going to allow it because it's anonymous. Like, the the clickbaitiness is so disgusting. Is so disgusting to me. Um, on adding on top of the fact that most of these fuckers clearly don't watch the fucking things. They they're they're at a pie eating contest and they don't eat the pies. So why are you a judge? <laughs> it's just it's just it's stupid. It's stupid. So yeah, that, you know that's just and that's just a little bit. That's just a little re. That's just a couple reasons why these things just should not exist. I'm not even talking about the broadcasts themselves, which people don't even fucking watch anymore because. What's the point? You know, why why watch the Grammys when you know it was either going to be Harry Styles, Beyonce, and that's it. Like you know, what I mean, there's not there's not exactly any surprises most of the time. And you know, the overriding one was like um for me was also that you know these people refuse to evolve, and yet it was it it served a purpose fifty years ago, right? Because it was a window into Hollywood, it was a window into whatever, um, and it was, and it gave an aspirational, you know, sprinkle of mysticism onto it all. But you know, we follow all, we follow our favorite artists, we follow our favorite actors, directors, writers on IG, Twitter, Substack, wherever, right? We follow these people, so it doesn't matter anymore. The mysticism's gone. <laughs> so what's the point of these award shows anymore? Um, Apart from maybe the occasional, you know, performance of a certain song or something like that, there's not really much. In, there's not there's much in for it anymore. So uh, you, you know, know been you, them all. You know what Oscars it is, is dropping. You know. Oscars happening this tonight, and that's why I dropped it today, as I rec- as we record. And you know, what's the point of it anymore, man? What's the point? The thing it about the thing about it is like it's it's totally an industry thing, and oh yeah, it's of course, losing momentum. It's a machine in rapidly. itself. It's it is it's part it's a huge part of the machine and it's losing momentum rapidly because you know the whole like Twitter's not a real place uh, no one cares about so like this there's there's a, a clear divide between like the DJ cards of the world who are making totally you know DJ cards in there thinking yeah man this album slaps God did like I've got this guy this guy this person this I've got all these people like people are gonna love this this is amazing. So there's I love a how he divide. thinks. A con- I love how he thinks. Um, just a you know, just a 
put the knife in uh, once again for a DJ Khaled. I, I love how something that he considers a slogan to himself is good enough a concept. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's it. But he's stuck in his, he's stuck in his world. Bro, if, if you are getting all these people to appear on your album, of course you're going to be feeling yourself. Yeah, but You're, you're going to be smelling yourself, yeah. And you get nominated for a Grammy. But you, but it's and you get freaky. rewarded. But it is it is like just this tiny little ecosystem. And what I'm seeing is this ecosystem is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Like when Dave Chappelle... But everybody's Elon, tastes are getting wider and wider and wider. People are fucking waking up to this shit. When Dave yeah. Chappelle brings Elon Musk up on stage and he gets booed. <laughs> Dave Chappelle's confused because he doesn't believe Twitter's a real place. He doesn't believe <sighs> that he, that they don't want to engage in it. You know, that in Australia right now, they're doing this, this royal commission... Um, into this thing called robo debt. I'm not going to go into it. Horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Robo debt. Awful, awful. Um, just targeted the most vulnerable Australians. Like just terrible. So the new government, you know, ordered a, a royal commission into it, and the the commissioner, the person who's overseeing the entire thing, said that because the media ha- are so invested in the right wing, and because they're so invested in certain particular people that are involved in this. She said the best source of news throughout this whole thing has been Twitter. She explicitly said that during a royal commission and said, if you want to get the best, most unbiased source of news about the royal commission, you need to go to Twitter. And like there's this huge conversation happening in Australia right now where a lot of news programs, a lot of like political opinion programs are just shitting on Twitter and saying, oh, everyone's angry over there. It's not a real place. There's so many bots. It doesn't exist. It's not real. Bro, that's the real world. And that's the real world that these people don't want to engage in because then they have to realize that the Oscars mean bullshit. The Grammys don't mean shit. None of this shit means anything. And it's just generating money at the moment for them. But it's gener- I feel like it's generating less and less money as it goes on because people are just like, why the fuck would I go to the Grammys to hear that DJ Carla got nominated for a Grammy for that trash album. That's not real. Everyone knows that's not real. It's the same reason DJ Carla's like, who the fuck's listened to Igor? Who, what's this mysterious music? Because you got no idea. You don't know what people, people adore that album, bro. That album is amazing. Everyone loves it. I tweet about that album. That's 500,000 views in a day immediately because people fucking love that. I tweet about God did. I'm getting 20 likes. I'm going to get like 10,000 views. Even when DJ Khaled retweets me, even when he retweets me, I get 30,000 views on a tweet. (laughs) That's nothing. That's zero. Mm. That might as well be zero. And that's the problem with these award shows. They're disappearing up their own asshole. It's it's unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, they're just getting more and more isolated. And I love it. And the world is just getting more. And uh, like I put in a quote um, literally the other night um, on the article that I dropped uh, where Chuck D said, um, he said it's around around the year 2000. Um, so literally over 20 years ago, he said this, but he said like, uh, in two years time, there'll be like five, uh, due to the internet, there'll be like, you know, millions of new artists and, you know, 5,000 labels, uh, to house them in. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, two years, probably a stretch, but he called it right. And that's kind of it. Right. I don't, I don't, I've, I've, I've said this before. I'll say again, you know, most of the artists I, I love and listen to and I've discovered over the years I wouldn't have dis- I wouldn't have discovered in 2003 
they wouldn't exist in 2003, most likely. You know what I mean? So a lot of people are getting the ability to at least chase, you know, the creative dream. Whether they continue on with it is another is another question. Um, but, you know, and I read another article a few weeks ago on What's Good about, about the concept of awards, award shows in general, or awards in general, and kind of like how is, do you not find it weird that we're just giving, you know, participation, like trophies to adults? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way to think about it. I didn't think about it like that, but it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, just, we're just gassing up adults. <laughs> like, do they really need it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, do they need it? Um, and, you know, and obviously there's the concept of, can you give awards to art? That's another thing as well. But again, that goes part to the ecosystem where, you know, it's just, you can't stop that kind of thing now. Um, but yeah, man, the whole, the whole thing is just, uh, I just got so disillusioned like around 2018 and it's now just come to now. I'm just, I just, I just, I, I just don't just spin them all, man, just spin them all. Like if you don't have the, if you don't have the money to, to pay for it, you know, it might, it, it must be fun. You know, to go to the to to go to all these award shows over award season. You know, get these go to these great dinners. Um, you may not win, but you're gonna get a fucking solid meal, and you're gonna be talking to people. You know what I mean? You'll be socialising. It must be fun. It must be fun going to these Hollywood dinners and stuff like that. It must be fun. But fuck, man, if you don't have a million quid in your pocket, what's the point? Literally, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point anymore? So, yeah, man, fuck it. Fuck it all. Bin them all. And over that said, let's finish there. See? See? We did it. One hour, 20 minutes. There you go. We did it. We made it happen. We didn't do it on purpose, but we made it happen. That's what we do. That's what we do. (laughs) We find the time. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. For the Fifth End Podcast, anyway. This has been Digging Digits. So if you've enjoyed this episode, I have a chance to say the Fifth End. I've been Ben Carter for Pop Numbers. Sweet tea next week. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but uh, before then, I hope you all have a good week. Michelle is always trying to do the same, but until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is a piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Music. Pretty bitty to use. Socials for the Fenomen, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, and Chill Music. Call me the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth end podcast for no production. It's been a timeless. We'll see you next time as we celebrate Women's History Month on Digging Digits. <laughs>